Loretta Napoleone, thank you very much indeed for talking to the Cambridge Judge Business School Leadership Seminar podcast uh, series today. Uh, you've been looking at terrorism and global economies, but you started the seminar by, by talking about how you were an economist in London for 15 years and then how you were influenced by your friend that joined the Red Brigade. Yes, um, when the Red Brigades ended the armed struggle in 1992, they made a list of people they would talk to, and my friend, my childhood friend, who had become a leader of the Red Brigades, of course I didn't know that when she was um, the terrorist, she had put forward my name. And therefore, I was asked if I wanted to go back to Italy, as I was working in London, and interview the Red Brigades in order to listen to their story to the reasoning why. And some of them had never spoken in court, had they? Yes, the Red Brigades for 30 years uh, had not spoken with anybody, including uh, their lawyers, because they did not recognize the authority of the state, the Italian state, therefore they didn't want to have any sort of communication. So it was quite uh, exciting, I would say, to discover exactly what there was behind this organization, because nobody really knew. And so that thinking, you said that, in fact, you realised later that you could never be like your friend, a member of the Red Brigade, because you needed to be a soldier to be a, a terrorist, and you were, in fact, a thinker, and very much an academic and, and journalist. But, but how did that get you to think about the connection between terrorism and world economies? Well, I discovered that because when I was interviewing the Red Brigades, they were really forthcoming about the way they raise money. Uh, they actually didn't want to talk about ideology uh, because the truth is that terrorism is very much a business. So what the terrorists do on a daily basis is search for money because without money, there is no terrorism. So because I'm an economist and I think in economic terms, I thought, oh, maybe there is something more to ideology, maybe there is the economics of terrorism. So this is how I started to investigate uh, terrorism from that point of view. Yes, because we've always known about it, the IRA in America, but, but perhaps not so much the influence and the impact of it globally. We, yes, of course. Uh, I mean, we always thought that sympathizer would support uh, a terrorist organization, but in reality, it's not like that. There is uh, the legal economy and the illegal economy, meaning there are actually people that work and use their salaries to fund their own activity as terrorists. But one interesting aspect on the legal side, or the dark side, let's say, of this money is the link between criminality and terrorism, how they forge joint venture in order to fund themselves. And one, of course, is the arms smuggling, but the other one is the drug smuggling. And, and you talked about how your son took you to see the film The Matrix, which is all about a world of shadows and, and mirrors. Is that how you see the global financial markets operating, that, that we, the law-abiding citizens, don't know what's happening to our money and what it's being siphoned off into? Yes, the, the investigation I started uh, about rogue economics, so this sort of economy that uh, has gone astray, that is not controlled anymore by politics, uh, uh, comes about from watching that film, The Matrix. Um, that film gave me really the idea of uh, the world we live in. We don't know what's going on. We don't know uh, what is happening around us. Uh, everything is filtered by a society that doesn't really want to admit that we're going through major transformation, very similar to the Industrial Revolution, where the economy 
is ruling the world and not any longer politics can control it. And, and so that's where the word rogue economics comes from, doesn't it? it? It's not about the fact that people are doing bad deeds. It's about the fact that we're going through a huge, or you called it a great transformation taking place in terms of the Industrial Revolution like Caxton and the printing press. Yes, we're going through major transformation, and when the economy moves so quickly, uh, as it happened during the Industrial Revolution, politics can keep pace, and therefore it can't regulate the economy. So we have the formation of grey areas. Inside these grey areas, where there is no law and no regulation, we see the birth of what I describe as the rogue entrepreneurs, people that reap the benefits of this great transformation. So we could say, to a certain extent, that the banks have behaved like that. So there was no legislation in place to tell the banks you know, to increase the leverage to limits that are unacceptable. But they did it because, of course, it was a grey area. There was no law, no legislation, so they did it. And, and you said that international capital markets and financing uh, actually led to the terrorists being able to gain from it. Yes, of course. I mean, terrorists managed to gain from this kind of situation because in a grey area, without any regulation, it's very easy for terrorism to, to move about and also forge new joint ventures. And I know that people think that might be happening with the Greek currency now, that it, it's not just Greece's fault because they've built up so many debts, that actually people are playing the markets very lucratively. Yes, what's happened was that, that because of the war on terror, the United States pursue a policy of low interest rate. So interest rate goes from 6% on the eve of 9-11 to 1.2% at the beginning of uh, summer 2003 when they thought the war in Iraq was over. Within that interval, we see the formation not only of the subprime crisis but also the exploitation of declining and low interest rate by major countries. Greece is one of those. They actually managed to present a debt restructure by Goldman Sachs to the European Union, much lower than it actually was. And because of this low interest rate, was able to maintain this debt. And instead of repaying the debt, he actually used the low interest rate to maintain a welfare state that could not afford. And, and you said that what we <clears throat> needed at that time was actually higher interest rates, that, that actually the global economies got it the wrong way around. Yes, and that's again linked to rogue economics because the rogue economics uh, for 20 years during uh, uh, the 90s uh, and you know, part of the, um, the year 2000 really needed uh, to grow very, very quickly. And it did grow very, very quickly. So the world economy was overeating and it needed interest rate to rise in order to cool down this rate of growth. But of course, with slashing interest rates in 2001, uh, gave a farther impetus to the world economy, which grew even faster. And that's how the bubble actually took place. Now, you spent quite a considerable amount of time talking about the Soviet Union, the fall of the Berlin Wall, and charting uh, really over that 20-year period what's happened in the Soviet Union when it moved from a communist state to a market-driven state, what's happened to people's uh, uh, own assets, what's happened to the currency too? 
Well, what's happened was that the, the economy collapsed completely and uh, unemployment went up, uh, particularly in certain sectors where women were working. It reached up to 80%. Uh, therefore, these women were desperate in order to get a job. Simultaneously, what happened was that the um, country had to find a currency, so yet the economy had to be monetarized. And in the process of... Um, discovering this currency, introducing these currencies, we see the formation of the Russian oligarchs who actually were given the right of, to transform the non-convertible rubles into rubles uh, and therefore into a convertible currency. These two things together actually gave the opportunity to the Russian mafia uh, through the beauty pageants and uh, um, pop concerts where, of course, this conversion of the rubles was taking place to recruit and lure uh, women, uh, unemployed Russian women, into prostitution, into prostitutes that then were sold as merchandises in the West. Now, I know that as a feminist, global trafficking of, of women yeah. must very much be on your conscience. Oh, absolutely. I mean... Uh, Trafficking, if you look at the statistics, uh, since that, uh, the fall of the Berlin Wall, human trafficking has increased, has skyrocketed. In particular, we're talking about the trade of Slavic women, uh, which became the most important merchandise in the prostitution business, uh, replacing the Thai women and you know, the Southeast Asian women. You then very sincerely wrapped up your leadership seminar at the Cambridge Judge Business School today by talking about we're not here just for profit, not here just to make money. We're here to make a better world. If you applied those words and that thinking to the Soviet Union, would it have been better if the Berlin Wall hadn't fallen? Well, you know, there's uh, one uh, um, Russian woman that said the Berlin Wall fell on the head of Russian women. So I think a lot of Russian women will tell you that it was better before. Um, However, I do believe that even if the Soviet Union, even Russia is still a country with no freedom and no democracy, I still think that the process towards a better um, democracy is in motion. The communist system collapsed because it was not working. We didn't knock down that wall. We actually, that wall actually came down by itself. So, as I said before, rogue economics is a fear of force, it creates a lot of imbalances, injustice, but it is a great force for progress. We just have to manage to go through it. And your new book that's out this year, Terrorism and the Economy, How the War on Terror is Bankrupting the World, it follows on from your last book, Insurgent Iraq. You very much pursued in your career as an academic and journalist those thoughts that were brought to you by your friend in the Red Brigade all those years ago. Do you think that you're likely, if you like, to rattle the cages of capitalism of the global world banking structures by actually pointing out that the current system is corrupt? Yes, the current system is deeply, deeply corrupt, and this is why it's not working. The truth is corruption 
is never positive. It always brings a downfall. So this system as a structure is not a capitalist system either, it's something else. Because if we go back and read Marx, we discover that capitalism is something totally different, it's something that produces things. We don't produce anything anymore, we just shovel piece of paper from one side to the other side of the world. And, and do you think that will change if we're in this great transformation, this rogue economics? Do you think that people will see that something has got to change? Yes, I think people will see it. And people are seeing more and more. I mean, today, there is much more awareness than there was when this book came out. I mean, I remember when I went to do my first book tour in the United States, which was in 2007, people were looking at me thinking that I was crazy. Academics were attacking me on, you know, what I was writing. And today... Most of the things I've said have proven right. And I think people today are more perceptive of reality because, of course, they have suffered because this crisis is not a banking crisis. It's actually a global economic crisis. And political. Loretta Napoleoni, thank you very much indeed for talking to the Cambridge Judge Business School podcast series today in their leadership seminar series, your book, Terrorism and the Economy. I shall go out and buy it. Well, thank you very much. It was a pleasure.